Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome back, guys, to another episode of the Chasing Tales podcast. This episode, I am back with my co-host, Chase Dude. Long time no talk, long vacation weekend. What have you been up to? Well, I've had a mix. I have been working. In a lot. A lot. <laughs> yeah, I've been working some overtime here and there. We've had some overtime at work uh, recently. And then I went out uh, on the Gulf Coast for a couple of days, a little place called Horseshoe Beach. Uh, did a little uh, fishing and was able to hook up with some redfish and trout. So that's what I've been up to. Uh, what about you? What did you uh, do over uh, Independence Day, the long weekend? Dude, I went up to middle Georgia and chased shoal bass. You know I have been excited about doing that ever since. Man, it must have been like early May when we talked to Everett. And he did not disappoint when he said how much fun it was to chase shoal bass. We had a terrible day. It had rained for like three days straight. The water was dirty as hell, but we caught one shoal. I caught the only shoal bass of the day. And that thing fought like a six pound bass, dude. He was, he only turned out to be about 12 and a quarter inches long, but man, he hammered that little rip and slash that I was pulling through the, the, the shoals. And I can tell you this much. I am hooked. Summertime belongs to shoal bass fishing. Nice. Yeah, man. It's awesome. It's 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 it was fun. It was a lot of fun. You and I are gonna have to get up there and do that. Yeah, it sounds like a blast. From uh, what you were telling me earlier from our conversation, so hey, you even had. Uh, but it's kind of dangerous. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I broke one of my rods. I'm lucky I didn't break all my rods, but uh, those rocks are slippery, and I got up to the top of one to be able to cast out into this shoal. And I slipped and busted my butt so hard. My buddy like came over and was like, "Are you? what's broken? And I was just laughing my behind <laughs> off. I, I I shattered the tip of my rod. And my, my, my even when I stood up, my buddy's like, dude, you really need to take a second because it sounded like nothing but bone cracking. I was like, well, <laughs> if it's cracked, it is what it is. We still had to get down the river. So, um, And he, he ended up losing like a, like a solid, like – conservative number of this fish was no less than six pounds it, it was probably like a, it was probably a large mouth because it was in this big like slack pool that we that he caught it in but this fish was huge got it right up to his to the side of, of the shoal that he was in trying to lip it and Derek grabbed the the the, the line and tried to pull the fish up to to, to lip it and it, the lure the line snapped and the fish went screaming down the the rapids like jumping out of the water with the crankbait in his mouth so um Luckily, Marty put on a good face and had a really good time, and maybe I can get the two of them to, to come on the podcast and t- talk about that story with Tanner because we, we met up with him, and, and he was kind enough to take us out fishing, and it was a good time, dude. It was it was a good time regardless. Awesome. So. Yeah, man. Sounds like a blast. Well, this week's episode runs a little long, so I think we should probably keep this kind of short. Um, we had a return visit from a guest that came on the show about two years ago, Sam Mubel of Chase Nation TV. He's a great guy, very knowledgeable guy. His passion for the outdoors just 
it pours with what he says. You can just you can sense how how often he's thinking about being outside the 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 intensity in which he pursues whatever it is he's going after the game, be it a, a bass or a, a deer or a, in this case a muskie. But it was a great episode, and I think people are really going to enjoy this bonus episode from Cadence. Yeah, no doubt. It uh, there's a lot of uh, technical stuff that Sam kind of goes over and. He kind of go. He kind of takes it to that next level off stuff that yeah. some of us guys who kind of do it more recreational out fishing kind of don't necessarily think about because um, maybe we're not out on the water as much trying to figure fish out. But it definitely sounds like he likes the science part of catching fish as well. He yeah. likes to try to figure them out, and that was it was kind of cool hearing uh, that version of like just how technical fishing can be, and trying to figure fish out. So I really enjoyed that. Yeah, I think he kind of, for a lot of guys, if you hear that and you're kind of intimidated, if you're a new angler like myself, I mean, I'm I'm very young in my freshwater experience. I think even though it was some, some higher level stuff, I think uh, if you give it a listen, you'll find that it might save you a little bit of money and it might help you uh, apply things moving forward because you, in hindsight, I could hear myself, you know, making things click, like the idea of what he was saying uh, and applying it started to come into play. But why don't we go ahead and get them on to that? But this episode, it's important to note that this episode is sponsored by Cadence Fishing. Their slogan is Go Fishing, Give Back. And for every rod and reel combo that they sell, they are putting a rod and reel combo in the hands of tomorrow's youth. And that is incredibly critical to getting fishermen, fishermen, fisherwomen, um, fishers, anglers. <laughs> I don't Anglers, there you go. Thank you. Anglers uh, from across this country, their numbers to boost and, and, and make sure that there's always somebody there to, to pay those license fees and to help con- the conservation of our waterways in this country. So with that said, why don't we let them get to it? Let's do it. All right, guys, we are back with a guest that we had a while back. It has been, I think we did the math earlier today, almost two years since he's been on the show. You'll remember him from Getting Naked with Bears. It was an episode called Naked and Afraid. (laughs) I'm I'm coming out swinging on this one, buddy. Uh, It it was an awesome bear hunting story that was just uh, an incredibly good time that happened about two years ago. And I'm, I'm a little bit bummed out that it took us quite so long to get him back on the podcast, but... Uh, without further ado, we've got Sam Ubel on the phone. Buddy, how you doing? I'm good, man. It's nice to talk to you again. It's been a bit. Yeah, it's been a long time. Um, you know, I, I think two years time gives you, uh, we, we should give everybody an update. What, what the heck's been going on with you, dude? Are you still working on Chase Nation? Like what's the deal? Oh, absolutely. Um, Chase Nation has been keeping me busy. Um, you know, aside from my regular day job, uh, you know, I've been, moonlighting quite a bit producing our episodes for chase nation and keeping that afloat and uh, oh man i'm coming off of a terrible i mean i killed a nice buck last year but just an off i don't know if you saw the last episode i did i mean of my hunts from last year but a season of woe um really puts things into perspective and how things went for me last season so i've been practicing my bow quite a bit trying to you know, relinquish the past, so to speak, and <laughs> put the pieces back together because whatever was going on with me last year can't happen again. Uh, just a lot of missing swings and misses. So, and that, and then, you know, um, between raising these two little tots I've got at home here, I've been uh, <laughs> trying to squeeze time in to get out fishing. Last year, we had a phenomenal uh, tournament season. Um, it just went swimmingly well. And then uh, this year here, we're I've, I've taken the year off from tournament fishing, uh, just spend more time with the kiddos. And, uh, instead of, uh, going to my, you know, home lakes where I, we got big numbers, I've been doing a lot of little river adventures that have been pretty fun leading to uh, some smaller, less popular lakes. So that's been kind of my last few years in a nutshell, missing deer and fishing. <laughs> well, you know, I think, with, being that it's been so long since you've been on, you know, I think maybe you should give everybody a heads up. What What is Chase Nation in case, you know, I know we've got a, a lot of new listeners over the last two years and they may not be familiar with your platform. Absolutely, man. I appreciate that. Um, Chase Nation is a uh, web series. It's a TV show. Uh, we're on season three right now. Um, and we produce anywhere from 20 to 30 episodes in a season. 
And uh, our whole uh, premise is based on unscripted adventure. So it's an adventure series, right? It doesn't necessarily have to do with strictly hunting. Uh, it just has to do with outdoors activities um, that take you on a little adventure. It's a little bit different than the norm, uh, but relatable to the average everyday you know, common fishermen and hunters. So, so we do stuff that anybody else can do on public land, real small lake or private. I love it, dude. I, it's one of the, the, the few YouTube channels that not only am I subscribed to that I get post notifications to, because even though I'm behind right now, it, it, it whenever I get a chance to get on YouTube and watch, it's a very um, genuine seems too cliched, but it, it feels very um, uninfluenced by the industry. Yeah, and I appreciate that. That's 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 another thing that we've really strived for is we've done our best to avoid, um, you know, being a commercial production. Um, sure. You know, I I realize that, you know, most folks that that try to chase this dream, they do it in a way that, well, you know, if you're not getting paid for it, then what's the use in doing it? But we're strictly fueled by passion, and everybody on my team is uh, a part of that. You know, if somebody in my family or one of my real close friends asks me, you know, what they don't ask anymore, but when they would ask, you know, what's your end goal with Chase Nation? It was always like the same answer. I don't know. You know, quit asking because the answer is always going to be, <laughs> I don't know. It's, we just sort of take it where it goes. And, and that's the beauty of it. We do it because we love it. And if anybody on the team ever gets sick of carrying a camera, you know, uh, then that they don't have to worry about the stress of living up to, you know, a sponsorship where they're expected to turn around, you know, so many sales or, you know, that kind of thing. That's not to say we don't network with, you know, other companies in the industry. We just aren't held liable for any sort of expectation. We just do things the way we do it. We don't put anything in anybody's face and we don't use anything we don't believe in. And, and we strictly do it for the love of the game. And, and that's that, man. It's, that's what we, that's what we stand for. Yeah. I, it, it comes through, it comes through very, um, fully in every episode that you guys are just there to produce it for what you, for, for your own enjoyment and, and hoping other people, you know, latch onto that and associate with it. And it's, I think it's only one of maybe two platforms that I know of that's like that. Um, and I think y'all even do a good job of not spamming people with, with ads too, if I'm not mistaken. Right. Yeah, we you will never see any of our productions watermarked with any uh, with any advertisements or any brand promotion. Anything you see us using is just because that's what we paid for and, and use. There you I go. mean, there that's it. If you see us tag somebody, you know, on social media, if you understand the game a little bit with things like this, is you know, hey, we don't expect a paycheck and we don't need free products or big huge discounts. What I really want is is viewership because I put so much sure. heart and soul into production time, and so if nobody's watching it, then it feels like, well, what am I doing this for? You know what I mean? Sure. So when you tag somebody on something like Facebook, for example, or uh, Instagram, the whole idea is that they'll catch wind of it, and then maybe they'll appreciate that. You know, hey, we gave them props, and then maybe they'll share it across their audience. If they do that, well, then we've we've you know, won a little bit of a hurdle there. We've kind of made it over a, a speed bump and maybe we've collected another 20 followers or something that, you know, look forward to us producing another episode. That, that means a whole great deal to us. And, and that's the only time you'll ever see us cross link and stuff like that, or, or share something, which we barely, very rarely ever share anything. Not, not because we're pricks or something, just because <laughs> people, just people, you know, you know how it is, man. People, you, you think about it, like, if I go post a picture of a big buck I killed or something, it might get a few hundred likes in you know a matter of a couple hours. If I share something on my personal page, even of like uh, you know another brand, just to like say hey they got twenty percent off something, I bet you we get we fetch like two or three likes, and it's probably from like a family member who feels bad for us. <laughs> so we've we've learned not to waste our time with that. You know, it's I never want to I never want to go down that path. It's just not worth it make money in the day and at night I, I do what we do for for the hell of, of it i guess because i love it so right on man well today's topic shifts a little bit away from the hunting component of things and and we're going to be pushing into a topic that is something that's always fascinated me when i've turned on the outdoor channel when you get away from 
the the southern lifestyle and what i mean by that are things that that you could easily obtain in the southeast and uh i think it's is it lindy's or lindler's like outdoor adventures yeah the lindners yep yeah lindners and and they're out there they're always fishing for something like to me that's weird and exotic right like walleye or perch or 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 pike or something like that and we're going to be kind of going down that path today with you and my to open this up and to set the stage is it musky with a y or an ie all right so it's musky with a y (laughs) you're gonna have you're gonna have two ends of the spectrum i mean you have two different populations you have the m-u-s-k-y folks and then you've got those that you know spell it with an ie and those that spell it with an ie have a lot more haters on them than the ones that spell with a Y. <laughs> you do it with a Y. It's it, it's Masconange or Muscalange or Muskie with a Y, and uh, and that's just that's just it. I mean, when I spell it, you know, in plural form, Muskies, uh, I'll write M-U-S-K-I-E-S, but instead of apostrophe S. But <laughs> when I'm talking about a Muskie, I do M-U-S-K-Y. And, uh, and that's just so I don't have to deal with anybody replying on social media, <laughs> sending me hate mail or something, you know, like, Hey man, you know, how you know, <laughs> people are funny about that up in the Midwest, upper Midwest. Yeah. When, wow. when you and I jumped on the horn before the, the podcast, we we're talking about that. You, you gave me that one little tidbit of information and I was mm-hmm. like, man, is this really such a thing? So I got online and I Googled like musky with a Y and all these, mm-hmm. all these articles popped up. And then mm-hmm. I, t- I typed it with an IE and an entirely different demographic of articles popped up. You know, it was like, there seems to be <laughs> yeah. like these different, like competing interests and in it. Uh, it's interesting to see. I kind of feel like musky with a Y kind of has like a more blue collar feel to it. It's more the familiar way of saying it. And then maybe like, maybe there's more of like a purist side of people that it's gotta be IE, you know? And it, I don't know, but it's interesting. <laughs> so it's just funny funny story um that's not much of a story funny comment is i used to i used to spell it m-u-s-k-y-m-u-s-k-i-e um as a writer because to me that was what was the you know correct way to spell it but i was writing for a magazine um on occasion called musky hunter magazine and musky hunter magazine is spelled Uh m-u-s-k-y and it was a pain in the butt to constantly have to change it from m-u-s-k-i-e to m-u-s-k-y when I would do my spell check after writing an article. So I was starting to like, you know, feel that kind of pain in the butt. And then, you know, being on different forums on the web and whatnot and seeing all the back and forth spats between guys. Uh, I joined the, I joined the MUSKY club and I'm glad I did because, you know, I got a lot more friends on that side than the other. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome, man. So, let, let's set the stage because to, uh, probably a third of our listener base comes from the southeast uh, in equal parts, uh, northeast and out west. And I, mm-hmm. I, I'm willing to bet that no one knows in those areas a muskie from a pike from a chain pickerel. So what's the difference between these three species? What's the primary? Sure. sure. So you've got, you know, northern pike are known as the water wolf. Okay. Um, they eat just about anything. The water wolf, the, you know, pike, they're more common, right? And they're uh, just about all green with a white belly with white spots. Then you have a chain pickerel or a grass pickerel, and they don't grow nearly to the size that, you know, uh, a mature pike or, or muskie grows to. Um, in fact, a big pickerel, I just saw you post a picture, I think, of one that you yep. caught recently that was probably, what, like 22 or so? Or? 27 and a half. 27 and a half. Now, that right there is, a, in my opinion... A 27-inch pickerel would be a uh, comparison would be like a you know four-foot musky to a 50-incher. So you know pickerels you, you don't see big ones that you know go over the 30-inch range. I just never see that. Um, and I don't know how old a pickerel would be because we don't have very many pickerel up here. Sure. I'm from Wisconsin, the upper Midwest, but you know uh, the pike. You know we don't have nearly the size of pike that you see in Europe. Um, a big pike here, you know, some of the biggest pike in the, in the country anyways, in the U S or Canada, or just say the North America's region would come out of the Canadian waters, um, in the Northern Minnesota waters. I mean, that's really where some of the biggest pike live, uh, here on this side of the, uh, of the ocean. Um, and then muskies, uh, typically well, we have different versions of them. We have a regular barred muskie, 
we have a hybrid muskie, or otherwise we call it a tiger muskie, and then we have uh, a spotted muskie. Um, there's a very rare muskie that we call a leopard muskie. Um, those are so, so uncommon. Uh, if, if you see one, it's, it's very infrequent. I mean, it's like once every few years, somebody posts a picture with a, with a leopard muskie and, and they literally look just like leopard, leopard pattern. It's, it's amazingly cool. You ever seen a, a leopard trout? Yeah. They look just like yeah, that. Yeah. Really? Just like that. Super, super cool. Um, are they a hybrid? But, or something like uh yeah they would be uh and i think you know i guess i don't know i would assume i would assume so but hybrid with what i don't know man maybe tiger musky and barred musky a tiger musky is is also known as a hybrid and that's a cross between a pike and a musky um you know the difference between the the two as far as spawning periods the the pike will spawn just before the muskies do a couple weeks earlier and that gives them a you know it's funny because if you up here you don't really have any trophy muskie and and pike fisheries. You either have a muskie fishery or a pike fishery, but you never have a combination of the two. Interesting. Our lakes our lakes simply aren't big enough. You go up north, uh, you know, north of Wisconsin to Canada waters, and you go to like Lake of the Woods, and you'll catch trophy pike and trophy muskies on the same trip. You know, on the same day, uh, you can catch a forty-five inch pike. Uh, you know, I was just thinking about a trip I took to Canada uh, a few years ago. And in eight days, or more like seven days of fishing, um, well, I ca- caught nine nine pike over forty inches uh, while I was fishing for muskies. Wow! Um, you know, but the muskies up there are just massive, and it's a huge, huge body of water. So those fish just get ancient up there. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, anyways, that, that's kind of the difference between the three of them. Um, Mike, uh, uh, Mike, pike are are you know less finicky eaters. I mean, shoot, you, uh, if you come up here and you fish pike, I, I can guarantee you I'm going to catch a pike. Um, when you talk about fishing, you, you never hear anybody throw that word out there. But I would be, it would, it would take a lot for me to say, well, there's a chance we might not get bit today. If I'm going pike fishing, I'm going to get a bite. I'm going to get a bite. Um, I, can't, I can't say that with muskies. So On average, I, I bet you, you know, they call the muskie a fish of 10,000 casts. Wow. So, so that means in, in somebody that's been chasing them for over 20 years, um, and I mean, die hard about it throughout most of my life. Uh, sometimes on some of the waters that I chase, um, you know, I could go four days without getting bit. You know, some sometimes just seeing a couple fish in a day, having them follow up is, is a rewarding experience. Actually hooking one is uh, just a tremendous experience. So that kind of puts things into perspective and 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 even the bass fishermen up here you know bass guys there's a lot of them but they don't really particularly care for muskies there's tends to be this notion that muskies eat all the bass right but of course you know they're predatory fish and yeah on occasion they'll eat a bass but every study i've ever seen by a fisheries biologist um always shows the same results you know the dorsal fins on bass are nothing to play with and sure. muskies innately target fish that are pelagic. You see something without a dorsal fin, they're going to, they're going to be much more likely to, to eat it. They love oily fish that don't have big, sharp dorsal fins, ciscos, suckers, carp, that kind of thing. Something that they can, that they can eat without getting lodged in their throat stuck. You know what I mean? Sure. Sure. Yeah. So a bass or a walleye, you know, is on the bottom of the food chain for these for these fish. And, and it's kind of funny because you look at all these musky lures and they're painted bass colors and, and walleye colors. And guys think, well, why would you paint a musky lure after a walleye or bass if they didn't favor those, you know, species? You know, these are the walleye guys and the bass guys saying that. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and it's okay. Like, I don't want to be a, you know, a know-it-all. But, like, I do know enough to be dangerous, and I know that the colors, <laughs> the shades, the shade of those fish, the shade of a walleye is particularly bright in both sunny and low-light conditions. So you think about it, a walleye is, is a golden color, yellowish golden, right? Sure. 
Okay, and then they have a white tip on their tail. It's not really apparent. You see them sometimes in clear water. Sometimes you'll see the, the tip of their tail before you actually see the, the fish itself swimming. Um, and that'll give it away. But, uh, you know, for when you, when you think about colors in musky fishing, you've always got to think about... Uh, there's a thing called a Perkinsy shift. Have you ever heard of that? No. The Perkinsy shift. Picture a bed of roses on a bright, sunny day. What, what color is most prominent when you see a bed of red roses? What, what do you see? Well, the red. Of course. Because red under intense sunlight, it really shows dramatically bright. It shows, it shows like it's very saturated red. But when the onset of a storm comes or a low light period, that red starts to take on like a hazy, darkish, you know, almost you know, um, purplish color. And the green really shines. Pay attention to that sometime. Hmm. What you'll see is, you'll see like when a storm rolls in on a summer day, all the trees around that lake are going to turn really bright green. And you look around and look at the houses with red paint, and you will not see big red houses anymore. You're going to see kind of dinge. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, 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 yeah. So in low light periods, I typically pick colors, you know, like yellows, uh, browns, greens, that kind of thing, because it really brings out the light. And, you know, even though I, I suspect only maybe 20, uh, the 80-20 rule here, um, I suspect only maybe 20% of my bites come on the visual profile of my bait. Sure. The other 80% come on the feeling of it. Um, you know, you catch blind muskies all day long. Uh, but when I when I think about colors, man, I'm thinking about what, what shows up best in, in different light periods. And I think that walleye color and bass color with the greens really shines. So in my opinion, that's why a lot of painters do that because think about it. The consumer is always the guy who buys, not the muskie. The muskie doesn't pay any money for it. Sure. And the guys building the baits want to sell baits. So they get fancy. They show off their talent. And I appreciate that because I really think it's cool looking, but I always squint my eyes when I pick up a bait and I twist it around and I see what kind of shade it gives me because I'll be damned if a muskie can see underwater a bait that's moving at like 20 miles per hour, the details (laughs) of scales and and, and gills and eyes, you know, that just, that's just not right. So that's, that's what you got to think about uh, is, is what the shade of the overall lure is and the shades of a walleye pattern or, you know, a bass pattern really shine. Oh man. You know, that might make sense why a lot of your popular bass lures are in baby bass. Right, like they're obviously not yeah. targeting baby bass, but that 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 green shade, that bright shade that that's in that that spectrum, in water that's not maybe right on the surface, I'm sure that Perkinsy effect uh, kind of starts to like happen as you go deeper into that water on even just a bright day. So that that kind of makes sense there, perhaps. Yep, and then you think about like like really dark, like nighttime fishing or really deep water where not a lot of light gets through. The way that the rods and cones work in a fish's eye, like a bass or a, or a muskie or pike, they don't see so many colors down there. They see different shades, like refractions of light. So it's always funny to me when a guy says, you know, purple is my favorite color at night. You say, why would you, why would you think purple is a good color at night? Well, there's no reason for it not to be. Um, but maybe, just maybe, it, it, it throws light a little bit differently. Another guy says, you know, I like white because I can use just my bow and stern light uh, without my headlight on and I can see my bait coming in. So I don't reel my leader up into the eye, the, you know, the, the tippy of your rod. And, and then you, you're sort of like, you know, you, you're kind of stopping short of reeling your leader up into the, the tippet and you're not going to, you know, break your rod guides. You're, you're going to stop short and do your figure eight and then get into another cast that or some guys put like a glow bead on, but I don't want to get into that. I'm just, what I'm getting at is, you know, if I'm going to pick a color out for like say nighttime, I'm probably going to just go all black with black blades or, or nickel blades, something that throws light and, you know, and it just really don't care so much about the color. You're just thinking about feeling at that point. Um, especially in deeper water, man, you, you just try to try to imagine being a fish. First of all, your vision sucks compared to our vision looking through clear air sure you know what i mean sure 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 like there's so much silt when you look at your graph i I always chuckle when i'm in a boat with somebody 
who's maybe inexperienced and they, they point out all these fish that they're seeing, all these schools of bait fish on their graph and it's it's just loaded. They're like, oh, look at this pot of bait. It's like, yeah, sure. And I look around and we're on a chum line. You know, the wind's been blowing out of the west for three days and we're off a point just, just east of it. And there's, you know, a foam a foam line going off the surface and you look below it and there's what I call a chum line and it's usually just a bunch of little bits of like sediment and uh you know mayfly larvae and uh grass from people cutting their lawns and whatever and what happens is then the perch come underneath it and they start pecking at it you know and then the muskies come up underneath it and they start eating the perch that are or the bluegills that are eating the stuff that we call the chum but a lot of times these guys poke, you know, looking at this on the graph, they think that those are schools of bait or something. And sometimes they are, but most of the time it's just stuff that's floating around under the surface. The only reason I'm bringing that up is because those are the big chunks, but just think how much sediments under the water and rays of light that go through the water. And even as a human with great vision with goggles on, it's hard to see in a natural lake or, or a river very far in front of you. Um, so then you factor in something that's moving and it's like exceptionally hard to see. And that's why I always say you catch a blind muskie because most of the fish that you'll catch are going to be like biting off a feel. You know, yeah. So that's what the lateral line is. Not that I'm teaching you anything, but anybody listening kind of has a better perspective on things. No, we, we've, you know? we've got a lot of inexperienced fishermen. I mean, I didn't know about the Perkin G effect. And Chase, did you did you take that into consideration prior to now? Uh, not really. I mean, I just kind of always thought about like bait colors as more of like clear water dark water not necessarily like the light that they may be looking up into sure um so that was something new that i really hadn't thought of and uh basically your bait i mean it could look when you're looking at it out of the water it could look completely different in the water especially if you've got any tannin or anything like that in the water so it's kind of cool to use different baits to kind of see, okay, well, this is what maybe the fish is seeing and maybe they're not. Like he's saying, I think a lot of it's feel. Um, they, they feel that vibration or noise. I mean, I get a lot of strikes on like really noisy baits um, that have like a rattle in them. Sure. So I think they're going off of that as well, it seems like. You get on real dark water and, you know, if, if I'm on dark water, stained water, I'm going to be throwing something that's loud, something that has rattles in it or has a real wide wobble, something that throws water. Anybody listening that hears the word sound, it's not so much actual hearing like we hear somebody clapping in the room next to us. It's, okay. it's feeling. It's water displacement. You think about uh, a footprint or have you ever been on an airplane and, you know, you have this big jump and, the, and everybody gets, it takes everybody by surprise. The pilot comes over the loudspeaker and says, no worry, a little bit of turbulence. We just went through the wake of another airplane, you know. That airplane probably crossed by there five minutes ago, right? Sure. But it displaced the air enough that there's turbulence up there, and you just drove through it. The same thing with water. And and so, like, guys that are trolling, you know, don't be fooled. When you're trolling, especially at for muskies, you know, at three and a half to five miles per hour, these fish aren't seeing that bait go flying past them and chasing it down. Absolutely not. They feel it. And they could come from... 20 yards away and it only takes them three or four tail kicks and they'll they'll clear you know 20 yards but they'll feel that and it could be you know 30 seconds after the bait went by them before that that wake from that bait going by hits them but once they feel it they swim towards it and then they kind of follow the footprints it's almost like following scent but there's no scent left behind it's just feeling and as they get closer the pulsation gets heavier and then they almost know instinctively, okay, I'm, I'm right on it. There's a vortex behind this bait. I got to open my mouth and then suck it in. And that, and that's, that's what I, I really get into this stuff. You know, this is the kind of thing, this is the kind of stuff that I just think is the neatest thing about fishing is uh, when you start figuring out the science behind why they eat, how they eat, you know, what motivates a strike, that kind of thing, that makes you a better fisherman. It makes you more confident. When you start looking at these guys that are painting these baits um, natural, okay, let's pretend for a minute that when you think about that 80-20 rule, let's pretend that the 80% of their strikes come from visual concept or visual profile and 20% comes off the field. That's just pretend, but let's just say it was. So you got 80% of the fish that are chasing baits down that, you know, they're, they're chasing it because they saw it and it looks sexy, looks edible. 
Well, let me ask you, why, why would, why would, you know, we be created as humans based on where we live in the world for our skin color to kind of adapt to the type of conditions we live? You think about that. Like we have a long winter here. We're pale as can be in Asia. They have a different kind of light in Africa. Okay. African-Americans, dark skin, tons and tons of sunlight, just beating, beating, beating. And, and they're dark. It's, it, you know, and, and you think about fish for a second. Why do perch have bars on them? Why do bluegills have the patterns they do? Why do rock bass literally blend in with the sand? Why, why if you think about Thayer's law of countershading, yellow, like dark backs, white bellies on almost all species, not all, but tons of them, bass, muskies, pike, walleyes. You think about that for a minute. So, what sense does it make to always pick a lure that matches the hatch? You want to, you want your lure to blend in with its surroundings. Mm. You're fishing, you're fishing weed cover and you're going to pick a bait that blends in with the weeds. It doesn't make any sense. You still catch fish because they go off field, right? Sure. That's the true 80, 20, but you know, you're not, you're no longer, <laughs> you're, you're no longer doing yourself a justice by picking a bait that disappears. And Hey, by the way, if you do mark a big school of bait and you're fishing suspended fish, out in open water. So, and you kind of learn as you go, you know, what are, what are these pods of bait? You can kind of tell like what's a pot of, uh, for instance, a, a crappie, a, a school of crappies, they're going to stack like a pencil off the bottom. It literally looks like a pencil sticking up vertically hmm. off the bottom. And when you see, you know, carp, they're a little bit more scattered or sheep's head, they're a little bit more scattered, you know, um, you kind of learn what species are your schools and you, you, especially if you have an underwater camera and you drop it down like an aqua view and you start to pick up on it, you, you, you learn a lot that way. And I, and I've learned a lot that way over the years. But my point is, is so if I drop a camera down or if I see on the graph a certain species, I'm like, okay, you know, I, I got a bunch of bluegills underneath me here. Well, I'm not picking out something that looks like a bluegill because there's probably 500 or 5,000 of them down there. No, 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 no. I'm going to pick out the brightest, most obnoxious color that I can. I'm going to throw it in there. I'm going to split that school, and that obnoxious color is going to stand out like a sore thumb. You understand what I mean? Uh, so let's tie this in. Let's tie this into musky fishing. How do you how do you apply these rules for musky? Well, that's what I'm talking about. Okay, that's what I mean. I'm out throwing like say a big piece of rubber, like a a Medusa or an X Toad. These are two big plastic lures. They're, they're you know a lot of guys say rubber. They're plastic. They're molded plastic, but they're sharp sure. like rubber, right? And I throw a lot of that out in open water. And the whole concept for me is, okay, if fish are schooled up, they move in a school for a purpose because they're safer that way. They stick together, and then it's harder for you know predators to pick one out of the uh, group and pre- you know prey on it. But when you see a school like that and you start throwing big baits through it with a big visual profile, you got to imagine muskies have such a big set of jaws, right? Sure. You start ripping baits through the middle of a big pot of like bluegills or perch, they're all going to scatter, but they're going to stay together. You, you literally split the school in two, and your bait then stands out solo, and you have this obnoxious color on it. And it, it's, you know, it can be seen, and it's just, you know, it, it looks like the, the dumb one or the injured one, and that becomes the target. And those fish that are sitting underneath those schools that come up and grab it, that's, that's the whole idea when I'm fishing open water and when I pick colors again, I don't want to match the hatch. I don't want to look like everything else. I want to, I want to look different. So, so, so let's back up a, a, a skosh. We, we, we went really heavy into tactics there. What kind of equipment are you fishing for musky with? Because use, it seems um, like you're using pretty much two by fours for fishing rods. <laughs> well, I definitely have heavy rods. I use like double X eight. Uh, well, probably even if when i'm throwing big rubber i'm talking about like out suspended um there's certain rods that are made just for that like nine footers or eight and a half footers um and that xxh is probably you know my favorite like a wow extra extra heavy or something that's like triple xh um Something that's just extra heavy is going to be a little bit light for hurling baits that way, you know, 12 ounces or, or so stretch out to like 18 inches when, when you rip them through the water. Um, for bucktails, you know, smaller 
smaller baits like bass size spinner baits or like smaller bucktails from muskies or smaller minnow baits, twitch baits, jerk baits, gliders, um, or even top water, you know, I'll tend to tame it down to something like a seven, six, uh, and I like, like, you know, like a heavy action, something that's got a lot of backbone, but a fast tip, you need a fast tip in order to have action. So when you're working a bait, um, or when you're casting, you can get, you know, with a bucktail, I like to throw it out far. With a minnow bait or, you know, glide bait, I don't like to cast very far. I'll do like a half a cast length just so I can control the bait a little bit more. But but when a fish does come and eat it, you need to have enough backbone in that rod to really drive those hooks home because those jaws are so hard on these fish. You need to have the power, you know, to drive those hooks in. Um, and that goes the same with those big rubber baits. You think about those rubber baits for a second and big teeth, right? So you've got these these teeth that could go a quarter inch long on a muskie, right? And they come up and they grab this rubber bait and they sink their teeth in, they close their mouth on it. And then you set the hook. Well, let's say you don't have enough strength in your rod uh, and, and you set the hook, re- you think really hard and you got the fish on, you're fighting them for about, you know, 20 seconds and then it shakes off and you're just left with your head, you know, in your hands and, and you know, your tail between your legs. You're just like, what the hell just happened? And you reel in the bait and you look at it and it's got teeth marks. And what you probably won't notice is a lot of slashes. And and what I'm getting at is with rubber baits or, you know, soft plastic, when a fish sinks its teeth into it, you need enough momentum or enough force behind your hook set to rip that rubber through the teeth to drive the hooks home. What ends up happening, especially if a, a fish eats the entire bait, is the front, like the head of the bait just hits its teeth. And never, you know, and, and so you're basically you're fighting a fish that's just holding on for dear life because it wants to eat it that bad, not because it's hooked. You, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like fishing with suckers without a hook on. <laughs> so <laughs> there's a lot of things, you know, I could get buried in the weeds real quick talking about rod selection. I've got a, I've got a couple of applications um, for just about every different way of fishing muskies between topwaters, gliders, you know, bucktails, big and small. Uh, jerk baits crank baits and um you know and big rubber and i no matter what though it's always got to have a, a good stiff backbone but a fast tip the other thing is i don't know if, if somebody listening to this has never been a musky fisherman or never seen musky fishing or gone musky fishing we catch a lot of our fish i'd say 70 percent of the fish i catch are on figure eights so you get to the end of the cast and you're always watching your bait to see if there's a musky following it and if there is you start drawing figure eights in the water. Um, you do it so much in a day, the next morning you wake up, you start drawing figure eights in your oatmeal because it's just so innate in nature <laughs> by that point. But, you know, it, it's true. These fish, they, they follow your bait a lot. And it's kind of like you think about like a lion hunting, right? And uh, you see these these discovery movies or shows and the lion's chasing gazelle across this open Serengeti and it's just long strides and they run in a straight line. And you're like, oh, my God, it's like a foot away. Why does he just take his back legs out? What is he waiting for? And then the thing trips, like the gazelle trips, or it turns right or turns left. And it's always at that pinnacle moment when the lion reaches out with his paw, swipes the leg, trips the thing up completely, then gets on top of it. Muskies are the same way. We call them window shoppers. They just follow a straight line like they're lackadaisical, like they're just in a comatose just following that bait. But the second that you make a direction change or a speed change is when you trigger a strike. Interesting. Musky fishing is so cool, man. I, I love it. You know, and when you talk about rod selection, you also have to bear in mind figure eighting. You, you're going to figure eight after every single cast. And if you've got too much forgiveness in your rod, you will be so, so tired figuring it. If you're figure eighting at the side of your boat, dragging that big heavy lure back and forth you're gonna your arms are gonna want to fall off so you got to have something that's stiff enough to support you doing figure eights that makes sense Mm -hmm. kind of kind of imagine like a big net you know when when you go fishing with somebody that's got like a big heavy net with a huge bag and you dip it in the water to net their fish and you're like oh my god that was like lifting 50 pounds just trying to lift the net through the water that was without the fish in it that's that's what figure eighting feels like if you got too soft of a rod what what's the culture like from from musky fishermen? It a lot of uh, it seems like every little niche within the fishing world 
has its own uh, opinion on <laughs> catch of release. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, crappie fishermen, I don't think they throw anything back. Brim fishermen, they don't throw anything back. You can hardly find a, a, a largemouth bass group where you won't be, you know, burned at the stake for keeping a bass. What What's musky, what's that whole family? What's, what's the perception around them? Can you eat them? Well, I, yeah, muskies taste great. Um, I've eaten one muskie in my life, and it wasn't one that I caught. Uh, it was a it was a fish that was part of well, there used to be something called Musky Days up in Boulder Junction, Wisconsin, Northern Wisconsin, and they I don't think they do it anymore. I haven't been up there in like twelve years, maybe longer. I think maybe it's been more like fifteen years. But they would have a musky broil or boil, like a fish boil, and I would tell you like musky is great. And I got a lot of friends in the musky world who have eaten muskies um, from a fish that, that died, wasn't quite big enough to go get, you know, mounted. Um, but you're not going to let a big fish that's that old float, you know, so let's make something of it. And you end up eating it and you find out, holy crap, that's really good. Um, if you've ever had northern pike, that's phenomenal. You just have to know how to flay them. Sure. However, I'm talking about how they taste. Now let me get into the culture of musky fishermen. <laughs> if you are a musky fisherman and you keep a musky, you will be shunned. Your tires will be flat. <laughs> you will be hated. You will be destroyed online. And you definitely don't want to go fishing where people who know you are fishing because they will mess with you hard. So don't keep a musky. <laughs> really? No, I mean, no, for real. Like, you think about it. <clears throat> it takes three years for a musky to get to maturity where sure. they start to spawn if they're going to spawn most stock fish don't spawn unless they're you know unless they're stocked as um you know eggs and then they hatch naturally in the lake they might spawn but most of our fish in the upper midwest are stocked and they go through the motions of the spawn but they don't successfully reproduce but um interesting the they get to maybe 32 to 34 inches in about three years they get to 40 inches and maybe seven. And then after that, it really slows down. Maybe you grow an inch or half an inch a year. Um, I caught a 45 incher um, one night on a lake called Pewaukee uh, in my, my neck of the woods. I caught that very same fish a week later the following summer, and it was 45 and a half inches. How did I know? Because they have distinctive bars, and you look at the picture side by side, and you can distinctly mm. see that it's the same fish same cut in its fin same cut in its tail you know exact same pattern on it and it's really cool you're like holy cow man i caught the same fish back to back like same same month two different years and it grew a half inch once they get to like 50 inches those are old men i mean those fish could be in their upper teens um you know it, to their in their 20s early 20s so in a when you think about muskies, you don't think of them as a, a fish that you, you know, target to eat. You think of it as a sport fish that you can chase, let go, catch it again. That let it go, let them grow mentality is extremely strong in the muskie world. Um, and I know that the majority of guides, uh, you know, advertise um, all CPR in their boat. They won't even take a client out that expects they can keep a muskie to have it mounted. You want to get a mount, get a replica done. It'll look better than the natural. Trust me, I have one of each on my wall. And uh, I, have, I have one of one and two of the other on my wall. And the skin mount, uh, although is amazing, uh, it doesn't even compare to my replicas. And and I mean, the replica artists out there like Joe Fatante or Lax, Rick Lax, they do some of the most incredible art and they hand paint these things you give them your pictures your circumference measurements you know your girth measurements uh length everything even 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 the girth around the tail you know the the meat right in front of the tail and and they'll they'll dress it up make it look just like it was when you caught it you wouldn't believe it so you know it's it's really frowned upon to keep a muskie and um there's also the kind of this i guess mentality uh with other guys at least up in the upper midwest like musky fishermen are really you know um clicky or you know full of themselves they always got these fancy ranger boats that you know are 620s or 621s <laughs> and they they probably spend 50 to 70 grand on their rigs 
Uh, they got all the best gear. You think about our musky lures. I mean, the cheapest bait I got is probably like eight bucks. The average bait is probably twelve to fifteen, and the most expensive is probably a hundred and sixty bucks that I have. I mean, I I got. I could tell you. I could point you in the direction to buy three hundred dollar musky baits. You know what I mean? God. They're they're handmade. The majority of musky baits are handmade. Um, the musky community frowns a lot on on plastic baits. If you made them with wood to start with. And then you go cheap and go to China and have them make them in plastic. You're going to lose a bunch of consumers because, you know, we're picky about that. But one thing I could say is that we're not is having fished the tournament trail and fished amongst uh, a huge community of exceptional musky fishermen, some of the best in the world. Uh, I've had beers with damn near all of them, uh, conversations with a lot of them, and listened to conversations because I wanted to learn from the other portion. And all I can say is that the conception that they're full of themselves and that they don't like other fishermen and blah, blah, blah is all wrong. The musky fishermen are just like any other human being. And they don't all have the fanciest boats. It's just that people naturally tend to focus on the ones that have the nicest boats. Well, I see. It, so what, you, how, how much does that hold true, though, that culture to, like, pike and chain pickerel? Is it different? Do you keep more of those? Yeah. Are they considered less of a trophy fish? Yeah, I mean, you, you, because because of the spawning, I mean, the natural reproduction of a native species like pike, where it's native in a lot of our lakes and, and rivers, um, you know, there's a lot more of them. And like I said, I, I you can come up here basically any time of the year, and I just about guarantee you we're going to catch a musk or a pike. I mean, there's so many of them, and they're so easy to catch. And a lot of them just don't get very big. Some of our smaller lakes here, like we're we don't have a bunch of big lakes, and you know, we have uh, on average like a, a four to seven hundred acre lake in Wisconsin. Wow! Um, you get a twelve hundred acre lake, it's you know still small, and you get a twenty two hundred acre lake, it's still small, uh, and it's but it's bigger than average, um, you know. But you go to Minnesota, and they got the Vermilions, the Millacs, the Minnetonkas, you have the bigger lakes. Um, here where we got a bunch of smaller lakes our fish don't always grow as big yeah you get trophies out of them but on average a lot of them are stunted and i, I don't mean the pike gets stunted because they're getting kept and and they're spawning when they're too small and there's not a larging large enough breeding population of or spawning population of the of the bigger ones um i just mean they're like smaller lakes typically produce smaller fish mm-hmm. uh, and until a certain point when, when, when they haven't been kept yet and they finally got big and usually then they're, they're old men, you know, or old ladies really. Um, but the pop, you know, we don't have guys around here that strictly target pike. It's pickerels. You don't, I don't know a soul that targets pickerel in Wisconsin, <laughs> um, but when it comes to, pike, I don't know anybody um, in Florida that targets them either. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Like, yeah. I'll Not tell that you many. what, you think of a pike, I guess you think of teenagers, um, you know, in high school, and they're easy to catch. Let's get a number seven Rapala. Let's go to the local pond or lake and go twitch a Rapala off the surface, you know. Twitch, 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 let it float up. Twitch, 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 pike. Boom. You know, you can catch six or seven of them in an hour. It's fun. It's a lot of fun. And, uh, hey, you want to keep one that's, you know, big enough, like a 26-incher? Sure. Yeah, let's do it. You know, and you learn how to cut the Y-bones out, flame them up good. You know, they're, they're great table fare. Nobody gives you a hard time for keeping a pike. Nobody, unless it's undersized. <laughs> so, Chase, where are you falling on the spectrum? I, I have a feeling if you were up there, you'd, you'd be more likely to target the muskie. But am I speaking for you unfairly? Uh, I would target all of them. <laughs> I, I don't necessarily. I mean, it just depends on what mood I'm in for the day. It seems like, but it seems like these some of these muskie that Sam and his group are catching are like dinosaurs. I mean, when you're when you're putting like 50 inch fish, how much does a how much does a 50 inch musky weigh? I mean, they seem huge. I would say peak summer, you know, a 50 inch fish is gonna, you know, probably be in your low 30 pound range. Whoa, like 30, 32 to 35 um, would be a typical one in the summertime in 50 inch range. Now you get into say pre spawn, uh, you know, in May. Or in other states where, other than Wisconsin, where you can fish, you know, 365, um, and you're fishing during, like, you know, winter months or, like, early, early spring, like March, 
you're catching these fish that are loaded with eggs. You're catching, you know, 40 pounders to 50 pounders um, when you start wow. exceeding a 50 inch range. And then, okay. you know, uh, fall, fall is usually one of the pinnacle times of the year for anybody to have a real true shot at a heavy giant where you, where you just might catch yourself. Uh, you know, you go float around and you cast, but they're not as active. They get lethargic. Um, metabolism really slows down with cooler water. So they tend to target bigger bait. Muskies do. Well, I think anything does, but especially especially muskies. Metabolism slows down. They have less energy. They're going to eat. They're going to eat something that's fatty. And I don't mean just like big and fat, but I also mean like oily. Sure. So suck, suckers, that's a great option. But but truly, uh, the fall, you know, it's around for a couple of months. And, you know, where before ice comes, I mean, you can fish through October or the end of September, all of October almost all of November. Yeah. Most of the time through November. And then you might start breaking ice to get out there in early December before she freezes up solid and you can't get out on a boat anymore. And so that gives you a lot of time to go out and fish, but because those fish are really slowing down, you need to slow down your presentation and it's cold. So your hands get cold because you're constantly thumbing braided line. And so, you know, I guess that's why the mainstay in the fall is the suckers. When you're using a 12 or 15 inch sucker, you know, or to say more like 10 to 13 inches is more like average, uh, you know, you have a real chance of catching a giant. And if you catch a giant, like a 50-inch or bigger, you're talking about fish that are filling up with eggs and they're eating big, fatty baits. A shot at a true 50-inch muskie is, is legitimate, although it's not common. Uh, certain bodies of water it is. Green Bay, Lake St. Clair, you know, places like that. Or you go up to Canada, a lot of Canadian waters and northern Minnesota waters. Uh, it's way more common down here. It, it seems like all you need is a bare, shiny hook in Lake Sinclair from all the reports I see. I fished Lake Sinclair for four days um, for a PMTT, Professional Muskie Tournament Trail event, uh, last year for the first time. And uh, it's real clear water. Um, when you hear Lake Sinclair guys talking about dirty water, dirty water means, like, if you pee in in the in the damn bathtub and it's a little bit like you know <laughs> discolored <laughs> uh that would be like dirty water on st Clair. It, it's still clear to the average ordinary folk but to a st Clair warrior it, it's it's dirty water that's where you want to fish and and there's a lot of fish out there it's not uncommon to have multiple fish days you hear about those you know days where guys are out there catching 10 to, 10 or more in a day that's uncommon anywhere else in the world for muskies extremely uncommon so yeah there's a lot of fish in there it's a very shallow lake it doesn't get much deeper than you know 20 feet 22 feet uh on average it's like 16 to 20 feet across the whole dang thing there's just so many of them and but they don't they don't bite everything um i guess the old standby out there is uh, a color called ball liquor which is uh <laughs> which is a uh, which for musky fishermen is a it's a white belly and black back with uh with some bright orange like a bright orange tail white belly black back bright orange tail the ball liquor um natural <laughs> colors like walleye pattern is real common out there and blues and whites are real common out there um i, I would say this i mean i fished every day i was there for four days from sun up till you know mid-evening before you know i would fish right up till dark pre-fishing and then tournament day we'd end at four and then one we caught four we dumped three during tournament hours and then caught uh seven or eight or nine or something pre-fishing and dumped like five so a lot of action what's your favorite time of year to target muskie well i'm a big bow hunter man so for me it's you know may june and in july and august I would say that May is my least favorite. I do not have tremendous success uh, early season. Early season here in Wisconsin, the season opens the first Saturday in May. I don't have great success in May. I don't know why. Sometimes I'm, I'm better than other years, but for the most part, my hottest month of the year would probably be you know mid-June. I would say mid to late June is the, my favorite time to, to be out targeting fish. Okay, so just passed. Did, did you catch any big fish this past June? Oh, I'd love to say I did, but we, I've been taking a little different approach this year. I sold my boat uh, at the beginning of the year uh, before season opened up. My kids are two and three years old, just turned two and three. <clears throat> They're a little too small, and I kind of got that selfish feeling. I, you know, I, I fished a ton last year. I was on the trail fishing tournaments, and I was away from my family a lot. 
and I made a decision. I don't want to miss any birthdays and whatnot and regret it the rest of my life. So I took a step back. I didn't fish a tournament trail this year, sold the boat. So you wait till we get something that's an upgrade, something bigger. Um, I was running a Ranger 681C. It's a 17 and a half foot boat. Um, you know, beam width is, I don't remember, but you couldn't have been more than like 60 inches. Pretty narrow. I mean, it's wider than your average V-hull, but not super wide. And the hulls aren't very high. And so I worried about my kids crawling over the edge. The seats were, I ripped all my seats out and made it really a deck boat for fishing. It just wasn't a comfortable ride anymore. And so with that, you know, when I go fishing now, this year I've been hopping in other people's boats. And you know, sometimes when you kind of like find yourself a little bit handicapped, you almost take your mind back to the good old days. Like where did it all start for you? Let's get back to basics and and remind ourselves of why we fell in love with the sport in the first place. I didn't fall in love with the sport fishing out of fancy boats. Hell, I, I fished out of V-hulls and John boats and canoes, and we didn't have, you know, trolling motors back then. We would just play the wind, and we'd go, and we'd, we'd drift weed beds or rock bars, and we'd cast them. And then you'd, you'd have to paddle all the way back or row back or use your little, you know, putt-putt boat, you know, motor to, to get back to the top of the drift and start it over again. And I'm going to tell you, I, I caught a lot of muskies back then. And I since became like, you know, uh, the modern technology is sort of taken hold and I've, you know, I wouldn't say fallen victim to it, but I've definitely become comfortable with it. And so now that I don't have a boat, I'm like, well, here's a perfect excuse. Let's get the John boat out. Let's go down some little rivers and creeks and whatever that lead to either it's all river or leads to a small lake. That's not known for numbers. That's not even stocked with muskies, but it's known or rumored to have muskies in it and see if we can't catch one of those fish and make an adventure of it. And so that's what we started doing this year. So my numbers are real low this year, but my adventures are real high. And I've been capturing them on film and for Chase Nation. If you check out our page or on Carbon TV or YouTube, check out our channel. Uh, look up Musky Adventure Series, and you can kind of get a taste for what we're doing. It's, it's pretty awesome stuff. Yeah, I think it's kind of cool. You sent me some of the clips from it, and... I'll be honest with you, I was expecting a different boat out of it, and now that you tell, give me that, you know, explanation, it makes a lot more sense, but, you know, you're in, a, like, a John boat with, like, a trolling motor in one of the scenes, I was like, oh, how cool is it? This dude that just gets it done all the time, he's out there in a John boat, now I know you're yeah. downsizing and still getting it done, so, you know, the expectation's yeah. a little higher for you. You know what, man? I, my <laughs> 681C um, was a 1993 Ranger. Um, I would say that most any Ranger fanatic or, you know, um, Big time fisherman that's uh, hip hip to uh, different ranger boats out there, ranger fans would all agree that the 681C is probably one of the best rangers ever made, um, and it's it's just perfect for all applications, small rivers, um, you know, or even bigger water, not huge water. I mean, I wouldn't go out there with an east wind on Green Bay. Um, and, I, and, I, and I'd be hard pressed to get too far out on St. Clair with it, but I could get down some skinny, skinny water and be comfortable out on like a, you know, 5,000 acre lake or, or even a 15,000 acre lake. Um, yeah, and it just, it was awesome. And here's, here's the point to back up what you just said. Uh, fish tournaments a long time and I've done very well. And I've competed against guys in brand new rigs that cost 70 grand who may have blanked where I might have tripled. And I'm going to tell you, it doesn't have anything to do with the boat, man. It has everything to do with the fishermen, the decisions that you make. Sometimes, sometimes you might get a bite because you had the right equipment, like spot lock on your trolling motor to hold you on a, on a specific spot so you could make a very specific cast to a specific spot. But, uh, you know, you don't go out there fishing, hoping on a prayer that you're going to land on those kind of scenarios. So, yeah, man, get back to the basics. Go drift around in a John boat and have some fun with it. Take things a little less serious and still catch fish. That's badass in my book. <laughs> Study the Perkins no G effect is what you're saying. <laughs> Study that Perkins G effect, man. Don't get too hung up on colors. I tell you, man, it's the 80-20, and I'm telling you, it's feeling. You need something that fish can feel. There you mm -hmm. go. Yep. Well, Chase, you got any, any last thoughts before we wrap this up? Nah, it just sounds like you definitely have a good knowledge base on muskies and a real passion 
for uh, fishing for them. So it was kind of refreshing to get to hear you speak about a fish that I've never had a chance to uh, fish for. And now you've kind of made me want to go out there and uh, maybe travel out to the Midwest or Wisconsin or something to uh, target some of these fish. So I appreciate that. Oh man, I'm, I'm super glad to hear that. Just, just remember something. And, and that is uh, not to get too carried away when it comes to equipment. You guys get too caught up in that. Musky fishing is expensive. I know because I, I do it. But back when I was fishing out of a canoe or a little V-Haul, I had one musky rod. And it was for all applications. And I still caught fish. Once you really get, you know, enveloped into it, then start spending the money and get, get rigged up for different applications. But, but don't think that you have to have all the different baits and all the different colors, all the different rods and reels in line weights and leaders types and blah, 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 you know, fluorocarbon versus steel. Um, you just need to go out there with a leader, some braided line that's at least 80 pounds and, you know, get yourself a heavy duty rod and a bait caster and, and, and maybe like two or three baits and, and go have fun with it. That's all there is to it. Well, Sam, where, where can folks find you if the, if they've heard this podcast and, and they're sold on you and Chase Nation, where can they find you? Cool. Um, ChaseNation.tv is our website. And then if you want to check us out on Facebook, look up Chase Nation TV or on Instagram, just look up Chase Nation TV and, uh, and you'll find us on, on, on YouTube. You can just look up Chase Nation. You'll find us there or go on to Carbon TV um, on your smart TV or your, your phone and, uh, and type in search Chase Nation and you'll find us, man. We got, we're in season three, episode 13. We just released it today. In fact, that was a kayak adventure to a forgotten lake for bass. I just actually published it about three hours ago. Rock on, dude! And and you got that Chase cool. Nation open forum too, so it's it's a closed yep. group that's dedicated to the, to the platform, right? Yeah, but I try to moderate it as best I can to you know technical talk on hunting, fishing, whatever. I try to keep uh, all the shares and you know. Everybody wants to share something to get attention for something sure. that they did. And I'm not going to appreciate that. I've done that from time to time, but you know, that's not what we created that one for. So most guys really appreciate that about it. Cause you go there and you can learn something or, or talk, share ideas and that kind of thing. Right on dude. Well, hang on a second while I wrap this out and want to chat with you in just a second. All right. Sounds good. All right, guys, if you enjoyed that episode, do us a favor. Hit that subscribe button, leave us a rating and review, and be sure to tell at least one person this week about the Chase and Tails podcast so that we can grow the Chase and Tails community. Until next time, y'all get outside and enjoy the great outdoors.